I want to start this morning with a story about a girl who once stepped on the treadmill of life. Let's see if I can get this treadmill to work. And hopefully not fall off the treadmill as I tell the story, right? All right, the treadmill of life, increasing speed. This little girl was a sensitive little girl. She often felt critiqued by others and their criticism. So she tried incessantly to be as perfect as possible. She kept going and going, the speed faster and faster. She grew up in a family that was materially poor in an affluent town and often felt like she didn't fit in. When she was in fifth grade, her cousin and current time best friend died unexpectedly in a car accident. She had so much confusion that followed. She hit a spiritual wall and she swallowed the lie that God was a distant, judgmental and harsh God. This caused a soul split as she grew. There were places and spaces where she would say one thing but behave in a completely different way. She was part of a faith-filled family that taught her a lot about God, but it never dropped into a relationship to God. She was labeled athletic and did truly enjoy whatever activity was at hand. At the same time, she had a hatred for her body. In high school and college, she fell out of place with a very competitive spirit. Another false narrative that she picked up was that competing wasn't how good Christian girls should behave. And then she thought total happiness was just around the corner when she married the love of her life. But her own selfishness really elevated and it seemed as if brokenness was just more and more exposed. As she wrestled with her sinful nature, the constant narrative in her head was you're not good enough. You're not a good enough wife. You're not a good enough mom. You're not a good enough friend. The cycle continued. Her and her husband lost a baby due to miscarriage, which spun into more disorientation. Soon after, she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder. Some days seemed longer than others, and she knew the reliance of daily bread. And as she walked, she learned, she realized that as we walk with God, we can also walk and begin to think differently. Sometimes that changes our circumstances, but sometimes that changes how we think about our circumstances. Mark Buchanan and others have used the phrase God speed, which they say is around three miles per hour. It's a pace when we start to slow down and gain a different perspective. Catch our breath, which literally I'm gonna do right now. <laughs> we walk with a God who seems in no particular hurry and who also seems to enjoy the going as much as the getting there. So let me tell you how God has changed my perspective the way I think about my story. This is a story of childhood freedom, of God's creation 
always under my feet. An active little girl exploring creeks, open fields and paths and forests, playing with friends and with cousins. Although my family didn't have a lot of money to invest in material things, I know with all my heart they did the best they could as they deposited character and a love for Jesus into me. I was their strong-willed child for sure. The heartache of death and the lies that followed during childhood were the fuel for a life of a passion in ministry. Going through the pain of the soul split caused my heart to burn that every person would not only know about Jesus, but they would know him, to have a living, vibrant relationship. By the grace of God, I was blessed to marry my best friend. He's a wise, caring, strong, and generous man who supports me and allows me to be the best version of myself. If you know part of our story, you know literally a new adventure awaits every day. <laughs> Four humans have been created out of our union, and they are the absolute joy of our hearts. I often wonder, without the miscarriage, would I be more susceptible to miss the simple joys of a new day? After a decade of health challenges, I continue to learn about myself. My rhythms of self-care and holistic wellness have been a pathway to strengthen my relationship with God, which continues to grow in trust and abiding. I realize the pain and even discomforts in my life have been a major starting point in every area of relying on Jesus. My dad passed suddenly and unexpectedly in 2020. Around that time, we were also launching kiddos into new seasons of life. My perspective has again been renewed of how quickly change, things change this side of heaven. It helps me to slow down and delight in some of the little mundane nuances of life. I love being near water. It restores my soul. I'm grateful for those opportunities. The simple joys of sunrise, sunsets, morning coffee, and the movement of the Holy Spirit directing my steps throughout the day. The opportunity to share the joy of Jesus with others also expands my soul. Even in a lot of unknowns, I'm learning to renew my mind that life and celebrate the little things in life. I celebrate the simple but profound ways I get to give back and make a difference in the world. I know the reliance on daily bread. Can you hear the difference in those perspectives? When we walk with God, he can change us, change us into a new person. Again, sometimes by changing the circumstances, but based on the way we think, we always have the power to change. Specifically today, the sermon in a sentence, well, actually the sermon invitation. Preston, if I could get that slide. Consider your perspective and the power of a biblical whatever. That's where we're heading today. Before we dive into the text, I want to remind us of where we have been on the teaching progression. So during Lent this year, the series was Lives Jesus Changed. And we offered stories of changed, transformed, and flourishing lives from the Gospel of John. And then after Easter, 
We've gone through the I am statements. We revealed the one who has the ability to change and transform and allow us to flourish. And now in this next series, How Joyful People Flourish, it follows these previous series to reveal how those lives who've been transformed and who have changed, how they think differently and engage with the true joy of Jesus. I think you're gonna love where this series lands. During this time, we will be careful. Contemporary wisdom has much to say about right thinking. A lot of times it drives us to lead to our own strength and ability to quote unquote access the good life. Contemporary wisdom can drive us to security oriented, quick fix solutions. What we are going to discover is beyond positive thinking. What we're gonna discover is beyond any self-help book. This is beyond just possibilities and problem solving. As a church, we're gonna be invited to think the way that God prescribes, to think the way that he wants us to think. Now this also doesn't mean we're gonna land in the camp where everything is always great. And we're gonna hold hands and just sing kumbaya no matter what comes at us. No, that type of thinking doesn't access the Lord's true joy either. And all those things that I mentioned, they're not bad. They just fall short. The famous Westminster Confession states, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Glory and joy. That is what God is after in your life, in my life, in our lives. We're gonna, where conventional wisdom falls short, God, God's wisdom allows us to be more mature in our person, more faithful towards God, and more loving towards others. So there's this transcendent glory and this unspeakable joy. We don't have to settle. There's more and there's better. The discipleship tool that we're gonna use is tucked away at the end of the book of Philippians. But before we go there, just a few things to note about this book. You can hear Paul's warm letter to the Philippians in the very greetings as he expresses joy at their faith, joy at the way they love and their generosity. When I hear, when I read Philippians chapter one, I think of Paul like a great aunt or uncle that just can't wait to pinch those cheeks of those Philippians, right? Or maybe give them a kiss or a big old hug. That's the tenor of this, of this book. His warm, his warm greetings give a gratitude, an inexpressible gratitude. The famous Christ hymn is part of chapter two encouraging them to have the mind and the humility of Christ. Paul also reminds them that if they don't have love for each other, they aren't going to be able to have an impact on the world around them. And he invites them to join him in rejoicing no matter what the circumstances. Most scholars would agree that the Philippian church is probably not a very large church and some think it's possibly quite poor. However, this doesn't mean that they are weak. 
Paul speaks to the ways that they have been able to find contentment even when they lacked. He speaks to the ways they have been able to give generally and bless well even amidst poverty. If we take a step up and look at the major themes, there's the gospel of Christ, the lordship of Christ, the conduct of Christ, and the community of Christ. So the gospel appears more often in this letter than in any of others Paul's letters. He's specifically concerned with how believers act and think after they say yes to Jesus. With the lordship of Christ, as I mentioned, at the heart of this letter is the famed Christ hymn in verses 2, 6 through 11. There's this beautiful lyrical language of the story of Jesus from his pre-existence to the universal of praise of him as Lord as it paves the road to the cross. There's the conduct of Christ. So for those who have received and believed, they're called to live according to the gospel, to conduct their lives in such a way that they live for Christ. It's a progressive pursuit of dying to self and living their new life in the fullness of Christ. And then there's the community of Christ. He reminds them that they are the new people of God. He contrasts this community to be sons and daughters of the king with the world around them, reminding them that they are citizens of heaven who submit to the lordship of Christ. He also reminds the believers to live in unity in God's household. One of our takeaways at the end of today and throughout the series will be to read this letter daily if you can, or at least weekly. I just invite you to read it as though Paul is writing intimately to you. I know some of you have seen this, uh, I'm sure, it went, it went viral, but there was such a clear modeling of what Paul was talking about in the Philippians in a current press release that I thought it would be good for us to take a look at this and just celebrate uh, these beautiful young athletes. So Preston, if you could pull up the press release of the Oklahoma softball players after they won the College World Series. I mean, come on. <laughs> Don't you just want to go pinch their cheeks or give them a big old hug, right? I mean, it feels a little bit like Paul. You're like, go. That's awesome. And so the verse that we're going to study is tucked away at the end of the book of Philippians. We want to stand on their shoulders, the Philippian shoulders, those softball players' shoulders, and look at the emphasis. How do we get there? How do we get to that space? This is God's way of thinking. It asks us to consider eight ways of thinking, benefiting people who desire to follow and find full satisfaction and sufficiency in God. These eight ways of thinking is for people who want to advance the gospel, live under the lordship and conduct of Christ, and to belong to a community of believers. These are God's attitude for his people. This is his way of guiding us. So Philippians 4.8, Preston, if I could get that slide. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'll read that again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such thing. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. As we reach back into the Jewish and Greco-Roman culture, each of these words are overflowing with meaning and application. We're going to explore the meaning of each of these words, chew on them for a little bit, and then hopefully allow them to change us from the inside out. Remember in the beginning when I said, I think you're going to love where this series lands? Well, these words come with a promise. The very next verse, Philippians 4.8, and the God of peace will be with you. We're going to consider our perspective. God's way of thinking gives us peace, real peace. That comes through having the right kind of perspective. A perspective that opens the doorways for us to trust him, makes us want to follow him more and more. And the promise that if you and I learn to live a life engaging in these eight words, the God of peace will deposit some of that peace within us, considering our perspective. Now, what is this word, whatever? What comes to mind when you hear that word, whatever? Is it kind of the flippant when you ask someone to do something, maybe, you know, younger kids, and they say, oh, whatever, right? Or is it kind of the laissez-faire of, well, whatever, Just like our English language doesn't have words to describe those eight words, we don't really have a great word to describe what the biblical word of whatever means either. This word, pronounced hasos, is used 115 times in the New Testament. It is a positive word, primarily used to describe the extent of something. One dictionary describes it as much as and as long as. It's a word that describes limitless volume and extent. And here's a biblical example of where it was used. It comes from the book of John where Jesus is feeding the 5,000. When Jesus took the loaves and given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. So also the fish as hossos, as much as they wanted. People got to eat as much as their hearts desired. This is a visionary word used to expand the possibilities and broaden horizons. One of the books the teaching team is using is How Joyful People Think by Jamie Rasmussen. And here's a quote about the power of biblical whatever from this book. Preston, if you want to throw that up, it's slide eight. I believe Paul used whatever with each word to get us to dream about all the possibilities this kind of thinking can have when we applied it to our lives. 
he challenges us to approach each God-ordained perspective with a spirit-led creativity and vision that conjure in our mind's eye that these possibilities might look like as we learn to think along these lines. Paul uses the word whatever to show us how to turn a couple of fish into a full course meal when it comes to how we think. So how does this work even practically? I'd like to give you just a quick example of what it looks like to change your perspective using the whatever grid. And I hope that as I run through this, it will be helpful for all of us. But especially right now, I want to talk to the young women in the room. One of the areas that God's been working on transformation that I've been walking with the Lord is with body hatred. Now, when I climb on the treadmill of life and leave my mental thoughts unchecked, I'll get going a little faster. Mentally unchecked, it gets brutal. There's this message of not enoughness that continues to play and wreak havoc. I feel like I never look good enough. I never have enough energy to do what needs to be done. I'm not good enough. That goes with size, hair. I hate my legs, basically. How could anyone love someone like me? The list goes on and on when I allow those treadmills just to run, those thoughts just to run in my mind. So I have a choice. I can stay walking fast, or like the narrative that I shared earlier, I can filter my thoughts through Christ. I can mold it through this grid, and I can slow down as I consider this perspective and the power of a biblical whatever. Let me do just a few of those for us. Whatever's true. And we're going to dive in more to what this means next week. So make sure that you come back. But basically there is eternal truths, God's truth, and our personal truth. I know that God says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I need to find that place where God's truth can drop down from my head to my heart. And to do this... I need to name that personal truth and find that bridge. So I was talking with a friend about body hatred. She asked a great question. Do you really hate every part of your body? No. The truth is, I don't hate every part. I'm actually a pretty kinesthetic learner. I like to move. So I recognize a lot of the feelings of my hatred actually comes when I'm in pain or I have inflammation. Each of our bodies, fearfully and wonderfully made, they each respond differently to different foods, environment. So I'm learning slowly. It's a journey. It's a process. Those things that trigger inflammation and pain in my body, I'm making more and more choices to avoid those things. Whatever's noble. Noble is sometimes translated as honorable. How can I honor both God and my body. One way I do this 
is to identify things that help me keep my attention focused. I like to call these things my non-negotiables, and I set different non-negotiables during different seasons. My current non-negotiable is choosing not to engage in what I call the three C's. I will not complain, criticize, or compare. When I find myself in one of those three C's, I attempt to quickly confess my sin and bring focus elsewhere. Whatever is right. Another word for right is just, justice. Social media can be a place where pressure, both conscious and unconscious for everyone, to look a certain way, to have it all together. And some of these platforms really target the younger female generation. When I think about what is just and the way people are exploited, I've experienced so much righteous anger. For decades of my life, I belittled myself because I wasn't the perfect size and shape, and that was even before all the social media platforms were out. And even now, I'm learning how the pornography industry is the one who sets the standard for such lies. You know, I really would prefer not to talk about my hardship with body hatred, but even stronger than that, I desire that all women know how beautiful they are and that we should not allow some repulsive industry to set the standards for us. Whatever's pure. Purity is, has the ability to be good and relate well. In the same conversation with a friend, she asked another great question. So what do you notice about others that make you appreciate them? Hmm. It made me realize that the first thing I notice about someone is their warmth, their smile, the kindness that they express. It brings me back that we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. And I so appreciate and I'm enlivened when I get to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in others. Hopefully you see where this is going. We use the eight perspectives as a grid to walk our thoughts through. Hopefully you see how it just changes the way that we hold things, the way that we carry things. And as we walk closer and closer with God, the joy goes deeper and deeper and then it comes up and overflows. Treadmill wouldn't stop. I guess it wants to keep on walking. <laughs> I wonder what the power of a biblical whatever is going to teach us individually and as a church family. Now, you might literally want to go on a walk with God, or maybe it's a, just a slowdown of thoughts and filtering some of these things, maybe during a Sabbath, I invite you to also share them with a friend. And at the end of the day, I pray that we, as a church family, will be flourishing in joy. Experience Christ, transformed by Christ. Experience and walking in the joy of Christ. So I invite you all to come back next week and explore and discover the new kind of thinking to get us there. A couple of invitations as we close here this morning. Would you consider reading the book of Philippians? 
and beginning to memorize Philippians 4.8. Consider your perspective on things, especially if you have anything running through that's heavy. Begin to wonder about the grid. I recently found a great quote. I love this. The word we study has to be the word we pray. May our personal experiences of the tenderness and kindness of God not come just through exegetes, theologians, spiritual writers, but through walking with the living word and pleading with God to help us understand the word with both our head and our heart. Sheer scholarship alone cannot reveal to us the gospel of grace. We have the honor and privilege of knowing Jesus personally and directly, experiencing the gospel of grace personally and directly. And as you are reading, thinking, walking, pondering, would you consider sharing what you're learning with someone else? Maybe a friend or a neighbor right here in the auditorium. Continue to build this beautiful community that's been established. Build off those connections. Second opportunity, especially for women. Becky Denoy and I are starting a book study on Wednesday night, the book of Philippians. Now, this grid is part of it, but it's a deeper dive. It's Jenny Allen's book, Get Out of Your Head. It's a six-session video-based study where we'll be equipped to transform our emotions and outlook by controlling our thoughts. The enemy is determined to get in our heads, to make us feel helpless, overwhelmed, incapable of making a difference. But as we submit our minds to Christ, the promises and goodness of God floods our lives in new and remarkable ways. So all women, high school age, probably high school age and above is who it's most applicable for, would love to see you on Wednesday nights this summer. And that starts this coming Wednesday, so you haven't missed a thing. And finally, the Untangled Conference. And here's the blurb from the Untangled Conference. It's a story that's marked all of our stories from the beginning of time all the way back to the fall in Genesis. We have lived in a world marred by shame. And from that moment until the present day, God has been pursuing our hearts, longing for us to untangle from shame in order to step into a life of self-acceptance that leads to a deep heart connection with him and for others. Part of this conference is the beginning of the journey of freedom from shame and the joy of relating with deep connectedness to God, ourselves, and others. All of these, or the last to the last two um, registrations, are available on our church's website. So I invite you to consider those and go there. Would you join me in a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, just as we started this service today, we are so grateful for who you are and the ways that you are moving. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room right now. And I pray that our hearts together would be open to your transformative power. That individually and collectively we would continue to become and look more and more like you. And so Holy Spirit, would you continue to draw near to us as we go from this place? 
Would you show us those things where you want us to stop running on the treadmill of life, slow down, and be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And so friends, in this space, would you just take a few deep breaths, breathing in the goodness of God, his nearness to you, his love for you, and releasing anything that is not of him. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We invite the more of your kingdom into our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said,